for each one that came out to worship with us here this morning. If you want to, you can turn to John 18 for a while. Um, this morning's talk is entitled, Finding Truth in an Age of Misinformation. I don't need to, uh, this is not news to you, that um, it seems like more and more we're surrounded with um, what is being dubbed as misinformation. I don't know if you've ever been lied to, um, possibly, probably all of us have at some point been, somebody told us a blatant untruth. And I don't know how that makes you feel, but when that happens to me, I feel misused and and uh, it breeds a little suspicion with me and it makes me not really trust that person. And... Um, Maybe even a little cynical, you know. What, you know, it's, it's not a good feeling, right? And uh, it seems like uh, it seems like this thing of uh, of uh, at least half truths, partial truths, misinformation, as it's called, seems to be on the ramp up in today's world. I mean, just yesterday, my children came home from a school trip, and they said, "Yeah, we were in the cave, and they were told it was 450 million years old." Well, you know, we 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 kind of chuckle at that. You know, because, you know, we just let that run off. That's just misinformation, right? We, we recognize that. But, you know, there's, we're going to get into some other things that are just a little bit harder to, to figure out than that. I will say that it seems like, I think this whole thing of untruths and misinformation is as old as the world, and, and we're going to read some of this here in John 18 here shortly. Uh, where there was some real misinformation flying around. But I would also say that it seems like the Trump era and the COVID experience has just ramped up misinformation and and magnified the problem to epic proportions, I, I would dare say. And I guess I want to try to help us uh, glean some principles this morning that can help us understand how and where to find truth. Help us to understand how and why we relate to the information we receive the way we do. Again, we, we live in a generation that just largely does not care about truth. It, it is, it, it has become a thing that is relative. I read within the last month, I want to say, and again, you know, I, I can't prove to you this is true. But this is what I read, so I'm just going to repeat what I read, and that you will have to decide whether this sounds like something that could happen in today's world. As crazy as the world's getting, I, I believe it could be true, but I can't prove to you it's true, all right? So I was told that in some of our most woke schools in the country, that even something as foundational as mathematics is becoming relative. And the teachers in elementary um, math classes are told that if Billy takes a test and he says that two and two is six, rather than correcting him and saying, no, Billy, two and two is four, you need to, you need to understand that, Billy, you should say, well, now, Billy, uh, that, that's interesting that you would call that six. How, how did you arrive at that? And kind of affirm him a little bit in that, because after all, to him, it could, maybe it is six to him. Well, how did he arrive at that and, and try to figure that out? 
And again, we, we just say, can it be? And, and I guess that's true. I mean, that's, that's what I read anyway. But I don't even know if I can trust what I read anymore. So you see the quandary I'm in. Uh, it's, it's almost believable. And yeah, I don't know. I hope it's not true, but I can't prove it one way or the other. What I do know is that Romans 1 says that people that don't know God become vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts are darkened. And professing to be wise, they become fools. And I think we just see that all around us. We see a pursuit of wisdom and we see the most foolish things happening because of it. Let's go to John eighteen twenty eight. now. We're going to read here some. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but, they, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him up to thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and said, Sayest thou this thing of thyself? Or did some other person tell, or did some others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, I am a Jew. Thine own, am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I might be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find no fault in him, no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And we could keep on reading, but we're going to stop there. But I'd like to, I would like to point out three ways that truth was related to in this particular passage. So we have the Jews, and the Jews did not care about the truth. In fact, they knew the truth, and they were working against it. All right? So they had an agenda. They had a personal grievance here with Jesus. They had some score to settle. They wanted an outcome. They didn't want truth, because truth would not have given them the outcome they wanted. So truth was was like totally out of the picture to them. The judgment hall was a joke. That that whole thing was a sham. Fair judgment and fact-finding that day were not on the minds of the Jews. They had a tribal cause that needed to be defended at all costs, and they were willing to sell the truth to support their broken system. 
So how did they do this? They resorted to mob violence, subhuman behavior, and false witnesses. And when Pilate comes out and uh, talks to him, talks to them, um, in verse 29, he says, well, what accusation do you bring against this man? They didn't even have an accusation. They just said, if he were not a male factor, we would not have brought him to you. In other words, they didn't say, well, now here's the proof that he's a male factor or a treasonous person. No, they didn't say that. They said, if he weren't so, we would have never brought him here. They didn't even answer the man's question. Well, what about Jesus? Jesus says here in this passage, I am truth. That is who I am. He says in another spot, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, how did Jesus respond? He didn't have to say anything. He, he had a few words here for Pilate. But in other, in other portions of scripture, it tells us that much of the time he was in the judgment hall, he answered him not a word. He, Isaiah talks about that. He's led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. I think it was Alan said in our Sunday school that truth, how did he say that? He said something about truth usually doesn't need our defense. He was close to right. Truth never necessarily needs our defense. Truth doesn't need defense because truth is truth. And Jesus knew that. He was truth. And so therefore, not much had to be said. So he was calm, collected, and he did not need to engage in subhuman behavior. Truth never needs a megaphone or a mob because it can't be talked down. It may be a while before it can actually uh, rise up and, and uh, show itself for what it is, but truth never needs a megaphone. How about Pilate? He was the man that actually asked this, in this passage, what is truth? Pilate is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a hard character to completely figure out. He said he wanted truth, but he was unwilling to go where truth was leading him. Because he did not like the inconvenience that this was going to cause him. This was going to cause him a problem if he went where truth was leading him. So he was willing to ignore it. He was willing to play ignorant. He was willing to feign that he was after the truth. But the truth was just too hard to accept. So finally he gave in to the mob. He washes his hands, which in essence proves that he knew what the truth was and that he was going against better knowledge. But the truth was just too hard to accept for him. So what did he do? He listened to the loudest voices. He saved his position. He yielded truth to the circumstances of the hour. That's what he did. I would like to look at seven points this morning of how we can ascertain truth in an age of misinformation. Number one, the source of truth is found in God and in his word. Do I need to, do I, I'm preaching to the choir. Do I need to say more than that or not? Just in case, I'm going to give you a couple of references. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, God is the rock. His word is perfect. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Titus 1.1, it says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. 
already referred to this one. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, in John 16, Jesus said, However, howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And finally, in John 17, 17, Jesus there, when he's, when he's praying to his Father, he asks his Father to sanctify us, his people, through God's truth. And then he makes a simple statement. He says, thy word is truth. All right? So here's why we know that what was said yesterday in the cave is not true. The earth isn't 450 million years old. It's somewhere between six and 10,000. And we realize that it was made in seven days from Genesis 1. We can ascertain that. And this is God's word, so it is true. So we don't have to sit here and have a discussion, you know, at, at lunch saying, hmm, now is that what the man said there yesterday? Was that true or wasn't it? Well, no, we, we don't have to have that discussion. We, we, we believe that what God's word said is true. So that's the end of that. Okay, number two, and this is equally foundational and fundamental, but the source of all lies and deceit comes from the devil. Okay, so in John eight forty four, Jesus said to the Pharisees there that day, he said, you are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, how would you like that for your resume? I mean, it's like there's no truth in him. He's a lie. Not only is he a lie, he's a father of lies. And on and on. It's just like the devil is like the embodiment of falsehood, just like Jesus is the embodiment of truth. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, it says, For him... Whom coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Okay, so what that's saying is, in context, is people that of this world, okay, there's much more in that context, but in summary, people of the world have no love for the truth. Because if, if they if they would love the truth, all men would be saved, right? That's just the way it is. If, if people really sought the truth, everyone would be saved. And, of course, the first detail we have of the old uh, devil is the lie that he told in the garden. And, uh, you know, you could, uh, you could, you know, have a discussion about that. Well, it wasn't an outright lie. They didn't die right away, you know. But he really stretched the truth. He really spun it. And anyway, at the end of the day, um, we still to this day have the problems we have on this earth because of that liar, the devil, and his ability to deceive Eve that particular day. All right, now let's go to the third point. And by the way, this topic is so huge that you could probably spend several Sundays on it, if not more. And so this is not a comprehensive discussion on the truth. And so if you're, if you, Think, boy, he missed a point. I, I am sure I did. I'm sure of that. Because I just couldn't get it all in here. Okay. Number three. 
It is fair to, to conclude that all worldly governments are influenced to some degree, and maybe by a great degree, by the powers of darkness, but they are constrained by the Lord. And so if you put that together, if they are influenced by some degree by the powers of darkness, then they have to be um, imbibing at least some partial truths and, and, may, and probably some downright lies. In John 12, 31, Jesus calls Satan the prince of the world. Okay? Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 12 and... I'm sorry, Ephesians 6 and verse 12, he says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, I don't, I'm not, I don't plan to parse that all out, but it sure feels to me when I read that verse that it is fair to think that there is things happening that we're not aware of that is infiltrating people of influence in this world, and that is being that agenda is being propagated in the world we live in. And I would say I would say that that largely is taking place. The war today is not between Ukraine and, and Russia. The war today is between good and evil. And it just happens to be that the Ukraine-Russia affair over there is a skirmish in a much bigger picture. Okay? In Mark 13... Jesus says, but take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Do you see how good and evil is coming together there? And it's, it's, it's presented that the church, the people of God, will be, will be at odds with the kings and rulers, because light and darkness is clashing at that front. And certainly a casual reading of the book of Revelation certainly would imply almost a symbiotic relationship between the beast, who is the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth. Read through Revelation 17 17 through 19 and see if you don't come to that conclusion. In fact, in in Revelation 19, it talks about how the, the kings of the earth are in known agreement with the Antichrist. And, 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 and really, really bad things happen. I'm not going to go into the eschatological part of that, but they certainly conspire against Jesus and his followers. Now, I don't know what's going through your mind here at this point. Um, certainly it is not hard for us to, to uh, grasp the fact that someone like Nero or Hitler or Stalin or Putin, or Saddam, or Gaddafi, name the names, you say, yeah, those were dark characters. They they are, were, and always will be dark. There's really shady people. That's not hard for us to get our hands around. But what if I tell you that Ronald Reagan was also part of that darkness? Now, does that get you like, oh, don't, don't say that about Reagan. I've heard many good Christians sing the accolades Ronald Reagan, what a fine president. If only we could have another Ronald Reagan in this country. I'm not here to get into politics, but you need to know this. Ronald Reagan 
I'm not going to dispute he didn't do the country good because he was a he he was a he was a he was an he was an interesting man to listen to. He had a way with people. He had good policies. That is all true. But would you not agree with me this morning that largely the breakdown in our society can be laid, a good chunk of it, a good chunk of the reason can be laid at the feet of the breakdown of, of the home, of marriage. I, I think we'd have to somewhat conclude that that's a, that's a, that's a problem. That's, that's a large part of the problem. And here is where I believe Ronald Reagan played into the powers of darkness. Here's where I believe he, 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 uh, he, he believed a lie. In 1970, as governor of California, he was the first governor in this union to pass no-fault divorce. And almost like dominoes after that, through the 70s, every state passed a no-fault divorce law into place. So in other words, what that meant is, I could just wake up tomorrow and decide, I don't want to be married to my wife anymore. It doesn't matter if she's the most loving, kind, wonderful wife I've ever had in 30 years. I'm just tired of her. So I'll just divorce her. I don't need a reason. Listen to the statistics. Prior to 1970, less than 20% of marriages ended up in divorce court. In fact, you can, you can, you can take the 1940s, 50s, 60s, and you can say this, see the statistics stayed largely the same. 1970, it's less than 70%. By 1980, one decade later, it had doubled and added another three, or another 13%. We're at 53% of, of marriages ending up in a divorce court by 1980. Now, some people would say, well, it's gotten better because the latest statistics we have in 2021 is 45%. However, there's a, there's a part that's, be, that's missed there. Nobody gets married anymore. I shouldn't say that. I'm, I'm speaking in hyperbole. But a lot of people have said, forget getting married. It's too much work. Who wants to go through the divorce thing anyway? Let's just shack up. So you, you take the, I think it's somewhere in the 50 percentile range of people that even get married anymore. So now you take 50% or 45% of them and they're getting divorced. You're down to a pretty skinny margin of actually intact workable marriages today. You, you get my point. The, the powers of darkness have influence through the through the powers that be, and they work havoc in, in our society. And, you know, people, people bemoan the, 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 the state of affairs of, of, of where we're at societally in the most fundamental basic things. Like we, we, we don't even know if we're male or female anymore. I dare say a lot of that goes right back to this breakdown of the home in 1970, or it was speeded up in a great way. In 1 Kings, we have the story of Ahab and Jehoshaphat having this discussion about going to Ramoth Gilead. Go read it. It's in, it's in 1 Kings 22. I don't have time to tell the story. But if you remember the good prophet that came in and talked with those kings and said, that's not a good idea, and he went against 400 false prophets that were saying you should go, he said, here's what I saw. He said, I saw a scene in heaven where... The Lord said to the people that were there that day, spirits, whatever, he said, how can I persuade Ahab to go to Ramoth Gilead? 
And there was one of these spirits had an idea, and, and, and it said to God, I know how, we'll put lying spirits in the mouth of his prophets. And God said, you're right. If you do that, he'll go to Ramoth Gilead. Those prophets in those days were the advisors of the kings, okay? And you know this too, but our governors, our head honchos, our presidents, they're surrounded by advisors. How many of those advisors are filled with lying spirits today? Just saying that we have to at least entertain those possibilities. Now, next Sunday we're going to study Romans 13. I looked ahead and that's what we're going to study. Romans 13 tells us we are called to obey, respect, etc. these governors, these governments that, that I've just made a case are probably lying to us, right? Or at least they're dancing to a tune that isn't very healthy. We should. To the degree that we can, we should. All right? That's, that's biblical. We should do that. However, my caution is, just because somebody in high places of power says a thing is so, does not mean that it is so. Okay? If it does not line up with this, it is not so. So, let's not be naive as we think about our governments and what they do and how we're expected to relate to them. Brother Micah was was uh, um, sent me a sermon preached by a Holloman Mennonite here a few months ago. And in essence, what this sermon was saying, what this man was saying, is that during the time of the Nazis, way too many Mennonites bought into the Third Reich's propaganda. Okay? To the point that Mennonites in Poland, it can be factually um, proven that they took part in the annihilation of Jews, served as Nazi concentration camp um, guards. You say, how do you get there? Here's how it happens. It's a slow process, but in essence, you get to a point where you buy in to a world system that we should never buy into. It happened gradually, step by step. It proves the point that to think that our governments are free of propaganda, boy, we're pretty blind if we think that. They are not. They never have been and never will be. Number four, on the heels of that, I think we need to realize that our modern news outlets have become increasingly biased and regularly spin the news to slant what they want to tell you to their desired, whatever they desire, whatever they desire to influence you to believe. There may have been a day in this country, I'm not sure, I'm not old enough to know this, when news sources may have been more objective than they are today. But I'll tell you this, it is long past if there ever was a time like that. And it is no secret, I don't think it's a secret anyway, that mainline media is solidly in bed with a leftist agenda. But I want to say it's also equally true that the right-winged news media outlets are just as questionable. All right, Both sides spin the news the way they wish to spin it. I think even more concerning, at least to me anyway, is the 
is to the, the degree that news sources, news personalities have stooped to when presenting us with news. The, in other words, the name calling. So, you know, if, if I don't agree with you or you don't agree with me, does that mean we got to start calling each other names? Is that what that means? You know, demeaning uh, the other side in outrageous ways. And, and to me, it takes away a lot of credibility. It's improper the way they present the news. It's, it's, um, it's not Christian. They, they say things that should make us cringe. Now, if they clean up their act, maybe, maybe they'd be a, have a bit more reputation with me, but we need to be careful. We become like the people we hang around. And just because their leanings may be somewhat the way we would lean, to listen to that rhetoric day after day after day is going to have an effect on us. It just will. I'm also going to go so far as to say that there's other people that I know that some of us at least are closely following that I question if we should. And they dance very closely to things that you can't prove. All right? And also uh, promote things that we can't endorse. And if we're going to listen to this day after day after day, again, I, pro- I propose to you, we will begin to think in a way that is not healthy for a Christian. I'd also say that the Internet has given everybody a platform. I could start a YouTube channel tomorrow and spew whatever I wanted to spew, and if you just chose to believe me, you could do that. I don't even need any credentials to get on YouTube and start a channel. There may be some truth, or even maybe much truth, but they do not hold our values, and I'm afraid they will influence us in a bad direction. But let's take this one step further. I think a lot of this stuff amps up our anxiety. So, you know, we're really into the news, we're listening to these people, and, and we're listening to their thoughts on things. And what if, uh, what if one of these personalities tomorrow said, now I have evidence that, that Putin is going to drop a nuke on Ukraine this coming week, and here's my evidence. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to get Putin's phone number, call him up and try to dissuade him from that? You think that might be helpful? All it does is breeds anxiety, really. And, and it's not terribly helpful. But there's a counterpoint to all of this. Jesus does talk about the fact he assumed, at least, I believe, when he talked to his disciples about the end times or what we can expect in the latter days, that we would have some understanding of what's happening around us. So I'm not here necessarily saying that just shut it off, don't pay any attention to the news at all. Now it sounds like I'm talking about both sides of my mouth, doesn't it? But to have some understanding of what's going on in this world seems to be helpful. What I'm saying is be careful how you're imbibing the news. In other words, don't just take everything at face value. Be careful. Study where it's coming from. You know, if you get a magazine and you're believing what it says, all of a sudden you see an ad for Flat Earth. Should that do anything about your thoughts of the magazine? In other words... These are the kinds of things that give us cues to, uh, to who and what we should maybe be believing. Right on the heels of this, number five, B 
be aware of conspiracy theories, all right? Now, this is a huge subject, and I'm going to try to really narrow it down. A conspiracy theory, largely, is an explanation for an event or a situation that invokes a conspiracy by sinister and powerful groups, often political in motivation when other explanations are more probable. Now, that's the dictionary's uh, definition of a conspiracy theory, and I think it's largely right. You know, conspiracy theories are things like this. JFK was shot uh, by coordination of the higher-ups in the U.S. government. That was all orchestrated. Uh, or the 911, likewise. The, the U.S. government orchestrated that. It was, had nothing to do with the Muslims, but that was all U.S. government orchestrated. Or, more, more recently, uh, the last election was stolen. Or the, the COVID thing, was that somebody eating a bat sandwich? Or did that come from some wild scientist in a lab in Wuhan? I really don't have the answers for any of these things. I, I, I kind of doubt whether JFK was shot by people that, you know, some U.S. marshal or something like that. In other words, in my mind, I sort these things out. You know, I sort them out in my mind. Um, but you know about this last election and this COVID thing? To tell you the truth, I don't know if I even have an opinion. Um, I, I, there, there's so much information out there both ways that... I've not even be, I've just quit even trying to figure it out. I don't even know why we would spend much time trying to figure it out. Because at the end of the day, it is what it is. I mean, you're going to deal with COVID whether somebody ate a bat or whether some scientist released it out of some lab. It's the same way either way. But you know, conspiracy theories abound. And I would say it is advisable to avoid most of them. But I have one small caveat that I would like to just throw out here. Let's be not so anti-conspiracy that we can't even entertain reasonable possibilities. And I'll try to explain to you what I, what I mean. Let's say that we're sitting here in church and suddenly a softball comes through the window and hits Davy in the head. And we look outside and we see a, a boy running into the garage with a bat. Now nobody saw this happen. Nobody. But is it conspiracy for me to think that likely that boy with the bat batted that thing and it went through and hit Davy on the head. No. That's not conspiracy. That's logic. That, that seems logical. Now, where conspiracy comes in is where we say, now, we believe that that boy tried to do that and he was, he was aiming for Davy and he actually got him. Well, likely the boy doesn't even know Davy, Right? But see, we conspire these things in our minds. We say, well, you know, this is what all took place. Do I need to tell you that this happened repeatedly, repeatedly in the last two years? To the point, again, I'm going to confess to you that during the COVID lockdowns, when you couldn't go anywhere and you had nothing better to do than to try to figure it all out, I spent far too much time trying to figure it out and becoming ever more confused as I did. And I will admit that I even succumbed to unrighteous indignation about some of the things that I saw. All right? However, it does bother me a little bit that there's some things that seem like the dots connect on 
that if you happen to believe that, or if you happen to think that that's a possibility, you are dissed as a conspiracy theorist. Folks, we can't go that direction either. There's got to be a balance here in these things. I'll tell you why I think this. I would actually go so far as to say that if we're going to be that anti-conspiracy, then we're going to have to throw Jesus in the conspiracy theory camp. Because just like I said, he said, when you see certain things happening, connect the dots. This is likely going to happen next, and then I'm going to come back. Like He gave us some some details. You know, look, look for these things. Connect the dots a little bit. In fact, he told them, Pharisees one time, he said, you guys can look at the sun and you can tell whether it's going to rain or not, but you can't even tell the times you live in because you're unwilling to even look around and see the times that you live in. He had some, like, rebuke for them for that. So, that's my point. Um, Let's not get so anti-conspiracy we can't even make perfect logical calls on issues. In fact, I would say Peter talked about, I think Ellis read this this morning in First Peter, Second Peter 3. He says that scoffers would come in the last days and they would scoff and they'd walk after their own lusts. And they'd say, well, where is the sign of his coming? Because after all, things just continue as they always were since the beginning of time and, and they're never going to change. And Peter says, that's a bad thing to think. That's, it's, it's harmful for you to think that way. Because those people are willingly ignorant. Okay. It's not conspiratorial to connect a few dots in life. How can I know if something is conspiracy? I'd say largely avoid the ridiculous and outlandish. I mean, folks, the earth isn't flat. Is anybody entertaining that idea today? I hope not. But I was just disheartened to hear that, well, I guess I won't tell you where, but there's a, there's a man... And one of our conservative churches that they put his membership on hold because he's a flat earther. They were like, wait a minute here. We got some work to do. People, people imbibe these things. And, um, you know, I also think it's highly doubtful that the U.S. government rammed the, uh, the, um, uh, twin towers. You know, the mother of Jesus, Mary, it was said that of her that she observed Jesus, she observed the things he did, she listened to the things that people were saying about them, and she pondered them in her heart. Now, I think that was a safe thing to do. In other words, what I'm saying, people, is that if, if you, if you are, are inclined to believe a certain way about a certain thing, probably the safest thing to do is just to ponder that thing in your heart. I would also say if things make us uneasy in our spirits, just take some time out, observe, ponder it, pray about it. Try hard to stay with the facts. Keep a clear head. And could I add this? Stay off YouTube. That's not real helpful. If you're confused, that'll just further confuse you. I can pretty much be be certain of that. Number six, be aware of personal gullibility and personal bias. I'll tell you, I'm not free of this, and you're not either. And if you if you think you are, uh, you're, you're probably telling a partial truth. Okay. A lot of the way people related to the, the happenings of the last few years had to do something with personal bias. Something made you relate to that thing the way you did. 
I would say it is wise to avoid hardline positions on issues at hand that are not easily understood. And it is very beneficial not to act like an authority on those if it is not clearly understood. Be willing to adjust your thinking if you're confronted with new evidence. If we take very hard lines on things that aren't fully understood, and then we're confronted with better evidence, we're going to look foolish. It's going to be kind of hard for us to back away from that because we have dug in so hard that to back away makes us look so foolish we're not willing to do it. Proverbs 1.5 says, A wise man will hear, he will increase in learning, and a man of understanding will attain unto wise counsels. Be open to consider other points of view on subjects that are not well understood. I will say this. The, the, the modern way we get most of our news, which is the Internet these days, has built-in algorithms, and you know this, that if you click on a YouTube channel about flat earth, it will bring five others up you can watch too. And so you continue to watch that. You continue to be um, sure that the earth is, after all, flat, and you are the one with the truth and everybody else is, is uh, you know, out to lunch. Just, just, be, just be careful of that. I would like us to apply this very personally. I have found that it's always good to trace stories to their roots. I cannot tell you I, I should say that. I have been amazed, let's put it this way, I've been amazed in, in, in recent history of my own life when I heard a story about a person or a thing, and I said, wait a minute. Now, it sounds believable, but we're going we're gonna to trace that back to the root. How many times what really is true was not what I heard? It's the adult version of Whisper Down the Lane is what it is. Just be aware that, you know, if someone comes up to me and says, Cleon's a thug, I'm going to say, wait a minute. I, I have no reason to believe that. You know, I, I don't know that. You know, there, there's got, why did, the, why did the guy say it? You know, whatever. Just don't believe things blindly, you know? If, if Cleon never has acted like a thug to me, so I'm not going to believe that, see? Number seven. Education can be helpful, but it can also be a hindrance. Now, I'll try to explain this real quickly. There's a promotion out there that, that we uneducated Mennonites just don't have enough of what it takes to understand the complicated nuances of the world. I have just a little bit of a problem with that, and I'll try to explain this real, real quickly. In some ways, I, I understand where they're coming from. Because if I go home today, and I go out my shed, and I see a cow that's laying there, and she just had a calf 24 hours ago, and her ears are cold, she looks droopy, and she won't get up, I'm going to instinctively know that, that that cow needs two bottles of calcium, she has milk fever, and that's what I'm going to do. Now, those of you that aren't around bovine, you may not know that. You may be like, boy, I got a problem here. And you might start messing around, seeing if she has mastitis or who, what could be wrong here. You're not educated enough to know. Sorry. You know, you just don't know. I do because I've treated hundreds of milk fevers. <clears throat> Sorry. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? So, you know, make the application where you will. From that, from that viewpoint, I get it. Education can be helpful in me ascertaining that my cow has milk fever. I was also interested here two weeks ago. I was called by a big shot doctor 
that lives in a, a, a upscale horse neighborhood over there near Rochester, they had a problem with his horse pasture, and he wanted me to come and look at it. I found that this doctor does organ transplants. I mean, this guy is a who's who. And he was wanting me to advise him on his horse pasture. And this man, I could tell, would have, would have done whatever I told him to the point of plowing that whole pasture up and putting on 50 pounds of seed per acre, which is just it would have been an outrageous thing to do. He had so much trust in me, he would have done it. If I have said do it, he would have done it. I could just tell that's where I was at. He was, he was dancing in my hand. And I thought, how ironic. This man that... that does organ transplants, and he's a very educated man, right? He has no clue what to do with his pasture, right? His education was doing nothing for him there. However, he was trusting my education that, you know, I was going to guide him in the right direction, and I tried to do that. What I told him is, you really don't need to do anything. You just need a little seed here and there, but to plow this thing up and start over would be a complete waste of your money. And I think he was almost surprised to hear me say that. But um, anyway, so, so there, there you have education helping us ascertain truth. However, does it come as any surprise to you that the pursuit of education, for some reason, has largely not served, for sure, our Mennonite church well, and society in general not well either? Back in the early part of the 1900s, the Mennonite church, for some reason, thought colleges would be where it's at. And so they established Goshen, Bluffton, Heston, EMC, and maybe a few more. Every one of those colleges led the church away from the truth, not closer to it. I'm sorry, it's just the way it was. I think this is likely because education as an end, to its end in itself seems to take us to a place where everything is up for question unless it can be scientifically pr proved. And folks, the things that really count in life cannot be scientifically proven. They cannot be. I'm not downplaying education. But I am here to say that many of life's great issues need more than education to figure out. I have talked to many educated people, very educated people, and it just seemed like we talked in circles, just talked in circles. And my conclusion was they had become so edumacated that they couldn't even they couldn't even talk sense anymore hardly. You know, and I, and I know that some people this this may be tough to take, but that has been my experience. Education at some point seems to work against common sense for some reason. It seems to do that. Here's why I think it does it. Paul had two things to say to Timothy about the knowledge of the truth. I'm going to read both, both verses to you. In 2 Timothy 3, he says that the godless people are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, which seems to pretty much describe what I just described. A chapter before that, he said God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth are used in both verses, but the one, they're never able to come to it. The other, they arrive at it. Never be ashamed of a simple understanding of things. I do not believe that fundamental truth needs a high degree of education. 
And I don't care if you go to college. I just should say that. If you feel like God is calling you to college and you, and you need to do that, you do that. But you be very, very aware that it could well lead you away from the truth. Very well could. You know, i got to sum this up and quit. We should be people that are known to be lovers of the truth. People that speak the truth. People that live truth. People should be able to know us as people that if you want the truth, go to these people. And I'm going to give you a story in, uh, in the closing. And uh, it goes something like this. Back in the, uh, in the early days of our Mennonite faith in Switzerland, the Anabaptists were, were propagating to a point that it was such a task to arrest them and bring them in for trial and then, you know, annihilate them, that it was, it was bogging down the system and, and it, was just, it was just burdensome. So finally, one of the powers that be said, we're going to take care of this problem. And, they, and they, had, they, they put out on horseback Anabaptist catchers. That's what they were. And, and the orders were this. When you find one, just ask them flat up, are you an Anabaptist? And if they say yes... Either haul them in or kill them on the spot. Don't, don't even, let's not, let's just, let's just cut past all the red tape and get right to it. It was said that the task proved to be very easy. Because the Anabaptists wouldn't lie. So if they were an Anabaptist, they, they would rather lose their life and say, yes, I am an Anabaptist and be immediately killed than to waffle or say, well, no, I'm not. They couldn't live with themselves. Folks, can the same be said of us, that we love the truth to the point of death. The proverb writer says that we should buy the truth and sell it not. And I hope that describes each one of us this morning. Let's kneel for prayer.